what nightmares are truly made of. Tonight, on episode 14, we're heading to Falls River, Massachusetts, home to one of the most infamous unsolved double murders in America. That's right, we're talking about the Lizzie Borden house, where some believe Lizzie Borden took an ax and gave her mother 40 wax. And when she saw what she had done, she gave her father 41. Acquitted in one of the most mysterious murder cases in American history, Lizzie Borden was accused and tried for brutally stabbing her father and stepmother to death. Even 120 years after her acquittal, the case of Lizzie Borden continues to be of intrigue to researchers and historians. Lizzie Andrew Borden was born on July 19, 1860, in Falls River, Massachusetts, to Sarah and Andrew Borden. Soon thereafter, Sarah Borden died. Andrew Borden remarried three years later to Abby Durfee Gray. The family lived well. Andrew Borden was successful enough in the fields of manufacturing and real estate development to support his wife and two daughters, Emma and Lizzie, and employ servants to keep their home in order. Both Emma and Lizzie live with their father and stepmother into adulthood. Some even say that Mr. Borden had his considerable fortune through a combination of ruthless financial practices and financial thrift. The relationship between the Borden sisters and their stepmother, Abby Borden, was not close. They greeted her as Miss Borden and worried that Abby Borden's family sought to gain access to their family's money. Emma was protective of her younger sister, and together the two sisters helped to manage the rental properties owned by Andrew Borden. The family attended the Congressionalist Church, an institution in which Lizzie was particularly involved. After graduating high school, she was active at church by way of teaching Sunday school and serving as secretary of the local Christian Endeavor Society. She was also a member of the Women's Christian Temperance Union and dabbled in the Ladies' Fruit and Flower Mission. In 1890, Lizzie briefly traveled abroad with some friends. Andrew Borden started his business career as an undertaker but bought rental properties and went into banking and textile mills as well. At the time of his death, he was a bank president and a director of several textile mills. And estimates said he was worth about $300,000, which is about 8.5 million by today's standards. But that doesn't count his real estate. As we stated earlier, he was known for being a cheapskate with his money. In contrast to the father's wealth, the house they lived in was small and shabby, not in a part of town where the rest of Fall River's elite society lived and had neither electricity or indoor plumbing. In 1884, when Andrew gave his wife's half-sister a house, his daughters objected and fought with their stepmother, refusing thereafter to call her mother 
and calling her simply Miss Borden instead. Andrew tried to make peace with his daughters. In 1887, he gave them some funds and allowed them to rent out his old family home. At the time of the murders, Lizzie had a small weekly income as well as $2,500 in a bank account, which would be roughly $70,000 today. In July 1892, Lizzie and her sister Emma went to visit some friends. While Lizzie returned, Emma remained away. In early August, Andrew and Abby Borden were struck with an attack of vomiting, and Mrs. Borden told someone that she suspected poison. John Morris, the brother of Lizzie's mother, came to stay at the house. Morris and Andrew Borden went into town together on the morning of August 4th. Andrew came home alone. On a Thursday morning, August 4th, 1892, Mr. Borden left home to conduct his business leaving in the house, besides his wife, an Irish maid named Bridget Sullivan, and, of course, Lizzie. Emma was away visiting. At around 9.30 a.m., while Mrs. Borden was making up the guest room upstairs, what stands out is that Miss Borden didn't have any defensive wounds. Perhaps she knew who her killer was and felt no reason to be afraid. Mrs. Borden was struck on the side of the head many times and then hit 17 times directly to the back of the head once she was down until she was dead. Her body was left on the floor in a bloody mess between the wall and the bed. All that was visible from the door were her legs. The killer then moved on to the next victim as if they did not have a care in the world. Upon Mr. Borden's return, he settled on a couch for a nap. About 11.15 a.m., Lizzie, according to her testimony, discovered her father dead, repeatedly struck in the head with a sharp instrument. Upstairs, his wife's body was found, even more brutally mutilated. Examination proved that her death had preceded her husband's by an hour or so. It was found out that Lizzie had tried to purchase poison on August 3rd, and then a few days later, she was seen by her friend, Alice Russell, burning a dress in the stove. Sullivan, who also has been suspected, later that evening reportedly left the house carrying an unexamined parcel. This, along with the illness in the family the week before, seemed to suggest Lizzie had attempted the murders more than once. Finally, the police produced what they said was the murder weapon, a hatchet they had found hidden in the basement. Its wooden handle, which might have borne traces of blood, broken off. Because Andrew died without a will, his estate went to his daughters and not to Abby's heirs. On August 11th, 1892, Lizzie Borden was arrested for the murders of her father and stepmother. Following a grand jury indictment, Lizzie Borden's trial began on June 3, 1893. It was widely covered by the local and national press. Some Massachusetts feminists wrote in Borden's favor. Townspeople split into two camps. Borden did not testify, having told the inquest that she had been searching the barn for fishing equipment and then eating pears outside during the time of the murders. She said, 
I'm innocent. I leave it to my counsel to speak for me. One piece of evidence was the report about the burn dress. Emma testified that it had been stained with paint and that she had advised her to burn it. No bloodstained clothes were found. Another piece of evidence was the report of Lizzie trying to buy poison just before the murders. Without direct evidence of Lizzie Borden's involvement in the murders, the jury was not convinced of her guilt and she was acquitted on June 20th, 1893. Although the town's social elite supported Lizzie during the trial, they were cold to her after the acquittal. Lizzie remained in Falls River, but she and Emma bought a new and bigger home in the elite part of town that she called Maplecroft. And she began calling herself Lizbeth instead of Lizzie. She dropped her club and charity work and began attending theater performances in Boston. She and Emma had a falling out in 1904 or five, possibly over Emma's displeasure at Lizzie's friends from the theater crowd. Both Lizzie and Emma also took in many pets and left part of their estates to the Animal Rescue League. At the time of their death, Lizzie was a very wealthy woman. Her estate was worth approximately 250,000, the equivalent of about $7 million today. At the age of 66, Lizzie Borden died of pneumonia in Falls River, Massachusetts on June 1st, 1927 but her legend as an accused murderer is still strong. Her sister, Emma, died a few days later at her home in New Market, New Hampshire. They were both buried next to their father and stepmother. The home in which the murders took place opened as a bed and breakfast in 1996. Guests and staff members alike of this famous bed and breakfast have had their share of strange experiences in the house. Some have reported the sounds of a woman weeping, while others claim to have seen a woman in Victorian-era clothing, dusting the furniture and straightening the covers on the beds. Occasionally, this even happens when the guests are still in bed. Others have heard the sounds of footsteps going up and down the stairs and crossing back and forth on the floor above even when they know the house is empty. Doors open and close as well, and often muffled conversation can be heard coming from inside of otherwise vacant rooms. Abby is said to be the most common sighting, appearing through the home and usually will yell from time to time, believed to be reenacting the moment of her death. One month after the renovations of the home, the John Morris room, there was an indentation made on the bed, believed to have been her spirit. Mr. Borden is said to carry on his usual business, unwilling to accept the fact that he is dead. He will respond to questions and is the common spirit to provide EVPs. Other sightings include that of Lizzie herself in the basement, cleaning the hatchet used to perform the deadly deed. Investigators will also receive evidence from Bridget Sullivan, the family maid, and her pet cat. This includes sightings of the maid, hearing cat meows, cold spots, and more. Doors will open by themselves, footsteps can be heard, and lights 
will flicker. The Borden family is no stranger to tragedy. Just next door to the Borden home was the home of Lizzie's great uncle, Lodwick. Uncle Lodwick's second wife, Eliza Darling Borden, brutally murdered two of her three children when she threw all of them down a well just before slitting her own throat with a straight razor. It is said that these two children, Eliza and Holder, haunt the Lizzie Borden house today. It is not uncommon for guests to bring small toys for the earthbound spirits to play with. Guests have reported hearing children's laughter and the sound of children playing on the second and third floors. There is a room in the house called the children's room where most of the activity has been experienced. The Borden house is one with a daunting past and a history of one of the most famous unsolved murder cases in American history. Okay, Lindsay, so I have a question. The lady killed only two out of her three kids. Do you understand why? Okay, first I'm just going to say, what the fuck, Amanda? Like, do you have to be a complete turd to our guest? We have a guest and we're not going to even introduce him. Oh, shit, my bad. I'm sorry. Why don't you go ahead and introduce him? The man doesn't need any introduction. I'm going to let him kind of introduce himself, tell us about his podcast, what he does, and what makes him so much better than Brian. Well, that's not really up for debate now, is it? <laughs> Never is. It's Brian. BTB. <laughs> Hashtag better than Brian. Yes, let's get this trending. Let's get it trending because I'd like to trend. This is, uh, do they even know who I am? This is Jay Sandlin. You can find me on Twitter at jsandlin underscore whn, jsandlin.com, where we've got the latest episodes of What Happens Next Versus podcast. And of course, above all else, I'm an author, and my debut comic for Mad Cave Studios is coming December 4th, a 90s pro wrestling story over the ropes set in the South full of intrigue, gimmicks, and lots of broken kayfabe. Yeah, that's why I was so interested to hear about Lizzie Borden's father being an undertaker. And apparently Jay brought his sex voice, too, to the show. This is I mean, just how I talk, Lindsay. <laughs> you, you have to excuse me. That's okay. <laughs> yes! Uh, so, Amanda, do you have any questions? I, I know Brian has been harassing the hell out of you for one certain question. Mm. And it, he keeps asking, and I'm going to come through the computer and choke him if he continues to ask. Okay, what is that? He wanted to know about the 40 wax. Okay, so the story is, you know, the fairy tale or whatever it's called. It, it's the, the rhyme, that's the skip rope rhyme song. It's Lizzie Borden took an axe and gave her mother 40 wax. And when she saw what she had done, she gave her father 41. Oh, Brian okay. is really upset about this. Why? Because it's 40 wax? He wanted yeah. to know why when he got 41? Yeah. So apparently from what I, I researched this for Brian, to, just to make him happy, because, you know, we, we got we got to keep, you know, Princess happy here at Blood and Black Lace. Please stop <laughs> doing that behind Amanda. That's really creepy. What were um, you doing? Were you like trying to hunt my head? 
CJ, we get completely off topic here. That flurkin behind her should have eaten him. <laughs> Goose, yeah. Oh my, why am I just? Oh my God, he's dancing in the background. Please help me. Please Naked. tell me he's wearing pants. Oh, well, this time. Oh my God, Brian has a tattoo of Animal from the Muppet Babies on his ass. You have a tattoo of Muppet Babies on your ass. I never guessed. He said no, but he'll get one. I think that's a challenge. You know why Brian's upset about the whole 40 wax thing? I think I have the answer. Okay, please tell us. Brian's upset that they got 40 wax because he starts to chafe after 10. Oh my God, can we have Jay on here more often? Because I love this. That's wonderful. And Brian's not even listening. He's not. Oh, he's he'll, he'll catch it on the. He'll catch it later. I'm no. I'm really enjoying the material this week. You know, my last uh, gig was uh, a children's thing, so this is a. I, but I was still doing history. I, I didn't mention in the intro. I have a master's degree in history. Oh wow! Yeah, I got to go be Johnny Appleseed for some kids. So if you do a Johnny Appleseed episode, I'll hook that up. Oh wow, that's incredible! Yeah, uh, the best part of this is the research. Well, I feel Uh, like Johnny Appleseed and Lizzie Borden would probably be a pretty decent fight because he's got, I mean, he's history's most famous pothead, but Lizzie Borden's got the stamina and she's got the, you know, advantage with the axe. But, you know, Johnny's pot is just like a blunt force object. So I'm going to give it to Lizzie. She's also got the higher body count, allegedly. Yeah, I mean, and... and I mean, come on. She got away with murder. I, I don't care who you are. And that was another question that that was something Brian called out yesterday when we were recording this. When we talk about um, if her ghost is seen cleaning the hatchet, doesn't that make her guilty? Yeah, so, I was going to ask that exact same question. Why, if her ghost is cleaning it in the basement, the hatchet, does that mean that she did it? Seriously. Okay, I got another one. If Daddy and her are both in the same fucking house and he's the one that's predominant, how the fuck are they not meeting all the time and they're not, like, fighting? Did you just ask if her daddy was a dominant? (laughs) She's the submissive. To answer the question, I do think that is strong evidence to suggest that she's guilty if her shade is seen cleaning the hatchet because what's the purpose of a shade a shade is trying to finish what's unfinished from the life of the person you know a a shade is an echo of the person that once walked this earth and they're repeating what the person didn't get to do so yeah that's very strong evidence i'd say um on from the paranormal side of things but like i told brian i said well it's not like you can go and arrest her ghost or anything i mean you know what's done is done at this point it's you know, whether or not she's guilty or innocent, what's done oh, is done. And it, I think it's really messed up that they buried her next to her two victims. They charged <laughs> that moaning they, that moaning Myrtle chick that hung out in the bathroom. They charged her with stalking. Well, I mean, she hung out in the bathroom. I mean, come on. When I hang out in the bathroom, I just have people hand me money. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm losing it over here. Oh, do I, I get to ask a question? I have a question. Sure. sure. Uh, so... Is Lizzie Borden like the Casey Anthony of her day? Yeah. Or which one is worse? Uh, that, that's that's hard to say. Um, I mean, killing a child is is downright disgusting. 
I mean, but killing, I would say killing a child is probably worse than killing your own parents. But, you know, killing your own parents, I mean, killing anyone is, is up there with, you know, dastardly well, deeds. So they both got away with it. Yeah. But Lizzie has a higher body count. Yeah. So there's that. But then there's the innocence of the victim to take into account. And then there's the fact that Lizzie seemed to thrive a lot more. I was interested in hearing that about how wealthy she was and the family was. I, I really never knew about that aspect of it, the wealth. And the uh, the conversions were interesting to hear because uh, I've been reading about Abraham Lincoln lately and th the amount of his debts during his time and how they sound small now, but they were so insurmountable back then. So 250000 being equivalent to a $7 million fortune. Um, she definitely has it better than Casey, who, you know, isn't really employable and is judged guilty in all the courts of opinion. Yeah, exactly. And, hmm. you know, with with Lizzie, I think it was the fact that, you know, she she and in the end, she got everything she didn't get from her dad. I mean, her dad was such a cheapskate. He wouldn't pay for electricity. He wouldn't pay for you know indoor plumbing, but he didn't mind having servants. So in, in the end, Lizzie really got what she wanted and i think you know in some ways i think lizzie was misunderstood but I, I definitely think she did it hands down i think she did it especially if her ghost is showing up cleaning you know the hatchet yeah she she did it well but don't you think her sister i mean like the bloodstained dress why would her sister burn the dress unless she's either a protecting lizzie or could lizzie really be a monster i mean Maybe she was just really embarrassed by a heavy period that month. <laughs> yeah, I could see that. I mean, you know, sometimes you get heavy flows and you need the, well, back then I don't think they had tampons, but you know. No, why do you think they call it on the rag? Mm, good. That's literally yeah, what they true. had. And I bet there were some rags that were better than others. Like women would get together and be like, oh, forsooth, art thou using the fleece rag for thy blood? <laughs> Here, here, honey, here's my old flannel shirt. You can cut it up for your blood rags. Well, I mean, you know, Jay's got a point, you know. I know I know. Emma did say in, uh, like, when she was on the stand, she said that she had told Lizzie to burn the dress because she had gotten paint on it. Now, right. whether that's the truth or not, you know, the, that's another story entirely. All Lizzie's friend, first of all, Lizzie's friend's a, bitch for you know turning her in like that you know i just want to say you know you got friends like that who needs enemies but so I, would you would you protect your friend from a murder charge depends on the friend do you want to be friends absolutely no jay was with me what are you talking about yes <laughs> there's already some online rumors to that effect you know it's it's a it's around it was mentioned on our podcast uh, last, uh, the, this most recent episode. You'll have to listen to it when it comes, uh, the Majin Buu versus One Punch Man. Old Delvin was running his mouth. Ah, uh, Delvin. <laughs> Delvin, Delvin, Delvin. What can we say about Delvin? I love some Delvin. I would probably, um, you know, cover up his murders. I probably would too. You know, Delvin was, was very kind to me when I, you know, I did an interview with him last week, um, which is actually coming out on Thursday. Um, yeah, he's a good dude. He, he, he definitely is. You know, he, he's hashtag better than Brian. 
Um, I'm still trying to get that to trend. Really BTB. want that trending. BTB. Um, so I'm looking it up, and the first tampons were actually made using a wide variety of materials found in nature. Mm-hmm. And the first tampons appeared in ancient Egypt. So it is possible that Lizzie Borden had tampons back then. I just stopped listening after you said the first tampons were wide. <laughs> And I was like, well, that might have, what, it took him long to customize them? Yeah. It says apparent other other materials have included paper, vegetable fibers, <clears throat> sponges, grass, and cotton. I don't know how but I feel I, about grass. I, I wouldn't put too much stock into the ancient Egyptians because they used to use crocodile dung as a form of birth control. Oh, yes, we have. And didn't we just talk about uh, using vegetable oil as lube and... Oh, that's what else? School, what, yeah. what was it? Uh, oh, they used to use bread um, as a old bread as dildos. Well, olive oil's been one of the oldest sources for lubrication for thousands of years. Yeah, yeah, the dildo, stale yeah. bread, man. I guess everything has a use. I mean, the yeah. Well, we were gonna we were gonna get dildos and we're gonna make a, customize them into lightsabers. So that we, whenever we're ready to masturbate with them, it's long, long, long. And it wouldn't take a lot of customization. I mean, they're already in the the general shape. What about like, oh gosh, you've, you've seen the, the trailer for uh, The Rise of Skywalker with that double-bladed red lightsaber that Ray has where it flicks out? Don't use that one. It'll kill you. Oh, Wow. Did the you Double use this on down. someone? <laughs> and uh, maybe you have a little secret you want to share? No, I'm just just looking at it. Imagine, uh, well, you know what? I'll I'll let people watch the trailer and come to their own conclusions. I always thought that um that, that, that the Jedi had to be doing that on the side. I mean, they they don't allow you to have attachments except to your lightsaber, which is an extension of yourself. Mm-hmm. We know what that means. I'm gonna run. Go for it. I'm gonna run too. It's bedtime songs uh, or bedtime stories at my house. We are reading uh, currently at my house. We're reading uh, Invincible from Image Comics and the uh, the run on Ultimate Spider-Man. My son is raised on the morals of Spider-Man comics. Well, that's a good way to be raised. As far as I'm concerned, it is. Yes. As always, friends, we're wishing you unpleasant dreams. I'm Lindsay. And I'm Amanda. And we will catch you next time when we discuss Villisca Axe Murder House in Villisca, Iowa on Blood and Black Lace.